Ryan. Welcome to the Greenhouse Talent Makers Studio. We're live right now interviewing forward-thinking leaders on every side of the hiring process. Great hiring is not just the result of great recruiters working their magic. It's a company-wide commitment that's vital to building amazing workplaces. And it all starts with our leaders. At Greenhouse, we know that great leaders are talent makers. They understand what it takes to elevate hiring to a strategic capability that pushes the business forward. And it's not easy. That's why we've asked some brilliant folks to join us and share the challenges they've overcome and the lessons that they've learned on the way to aligning their people strategy to their business strategy. So join me and get ready to learn what it means to be a talent maker. sales at Bevy. From the battlefield to the boardroom, Stephen Brody has been there and done that. Stephen served as an Army Special Ops sniper for six years before building the inside sales team at MuleSoft through IPO and eventual sale to Salesforce for $6.5 billion. Regarded as one of the top up-and-coming sales leaders in the industry by Sales Hacker and other notable sales resources, Stephen has put his learning from the Army to the test. His story is as inspiring as it is action-packed, full of transferable knowledge. Stephen, thank Thanks so much for being with us today. To start, tell me a little bit about what you love about working at Bevy. I think what's really interesting to me is there's this massive shift in how we buy products. Like as a consumer, I really only buy things three ways. I go on Amazon, I look for five-star reviews, and I buy them. Or I ask, like, hey, Lauren, those are great shoes. Where can I find them? Or I say, hey, Lauren, you know about shoes. What shoes should I buy? And the thing is, that's how we as consumers buy from businesses, but businesses increasingly more and more are actually buying that way. So they're going online, but they're not necessarily looking at like your digital ads. They're focused on the content and the reviews that you have on G2 Crowd. They are increasingly averse to spending time with salespeople, right? Like every time I go to Nordstrom's, which is basically not ever, I cringe because I have a salesperson chasing me around. And I really don't trust salespeople. I say that, and I'm a sales leader. Uh, I don't trust myself, so that's probably a, a good indication. And the reality is the way people buy is only organic when you're connecting customers to other customers to sell to them. Because if someone asks me what the best talent recruiting platform is, I'm going to tell them Greenhouse and I'm going to be able to actually tell them why and validate it. And that's coming from a genuine, authentic place. And they know they can trust that. What I think is really amazing about what Bevy's doing is we are helping the best in industry brands, companies like Slack, Salesforce, Atlassian, build and scale their in-person communities. And that's actually giving them the opportunity to create these organic opportunities for customers to connect with prospects or customers to connect with customers and learn. So it's it's really been amazing. I feel like we're sort of catching a wave and potentially elevating a role where much in the same way that sort of Gainsight positioned customer success to actually be understood to driving value by giving them the ability to quantify their impact, community leaders can now point to data and say, look, I am driving decreased customer acquisition costs, increasing the total pipeline, decreasing churn, or driving like platform adoption. So it's pretty exciting and 
I know that was long-winded, so I apologize. That's fascinating. And the insight that um, people are trusting sales folks less and less is a very interesting mm-hmm. thing when you're running a sales team. How has that informed how you shape your, your sales team and, and who's most successful mm-hmm. in your org? It's a great question. So for me, I think the thing about building trust is, you know, my wife will tell you, like, trust is not built by having the right answer. In fact, I don't think she trusts anything I say, but she does deepen her level of trust in me when she feels listened to and understood. And I think really being genuinely empathetic and mindful before you approach any sales engagement is really, really powerful. Empathetic in the engagement, being really mindful beforehand. You know, it's funny, like I came from Army Special Operations. I actually learned to meditate there because they found that if you controlled your breathing and you can sort of slow down your somatic response to your environment, you could actually tighten up your shot group and be more accurate. And I think really like pausing and asking yourself, and I try to coach people to do this, like what's your intention? How do you want people to actually feel coming out of this engagement? And by the way, like your job is to be atypical, not to be a typical salesperson who has all the answers. Like no one likes the kid in the room in class who's answering every question. Like, you know, and I could go on a total tangent on that, (laughs) but I'll stop. How did you kind of bring the rest of your sales leadership team along in that change? I imagine that it was a little bit of a journey. I think the way I brought people along to to really evolve as sales people and as sales leaders is by being really open and honest about where I was failing and struggling, which was a lot of places and still continues to be. I think Building trust on a team is a function not of giving really good feedback, but like being really receptive to it yourself and constantly asking for it. I think if you were to call an AE on my team and say, what do you like least about ask or working with Steven? It's that every call, he's going to ask you what he could have done better. And I don't always have an answer, which is shocking because there's so much. And I think... I had to unlearn a lot of the habits that I learned in Ranger Regiment where your success as a leader is is solely a function of being an expert and being the best at your team at every role of everyone on your team. Now that was necessary, but I over-rotated on feeling like that domain expertise is what gave someone credibility in retrospect we were given the best leadership training on the planet and entrusted with the highest stakes mission and literally the lives of the people on our team. And that was what actually developed great leaders and created that environment where they could grow. So I think it's really interesting to zoom out because sales leaders are often promoted because they're really good at their job. And the reality is that's important, but it's far more important to be a great leader first and foremost. There's a phrase that's integral to your your life, Rangers lead the way, um, a motto of the U.S. Army Rangers with whom you served uh, a number of years. You've talked a little bit about how you believed at one point that leadership was that kind of like deep technical expertise and being the best at the thing you were doing. And in reflection, it, you see a little bit of something more holistic to the team. How today do you kind of define what leadership means to you? So 
you know, I'll start by saying it's funny that Rangers lead the way phrase used to have a comma in it. So Rangers were the first people to scale the cliffs of Point de Hoc during D-Day and the first on the beach at Normandy. And some general turned to them and said, Rangers, comma, lead the way. I don't know where the comma got dropped along the way, but it really means two different things. I think the way it's informed how I view leadership. Well, first of all, I got really lucky. And the reason I got really lucky is you're constantly churning leadership upwards and sometimes out. And I've worked for some of the most amazing leaders I might ever work for. And they came in all sort of different shapes, sizes, and colors. And and frankly, like, their styles were so different. In fact, like, my first squad leader, I mean, I remember, like, the first firefight I ever got in, I was so much more concerned about the fact that I felt like I was three feet further to the right than I was supposed to be because I knew he was going to crush me afterwards. And I hated him. I literally hated him. And he was an amazing leader. And the last leader I ever worked for was like the dad I wish I had, you know, and I've worked for like the the dad you can never please. And I think what I was able to hopefully do with some degree of success was sort of take piecemeal parts of what they did well and that I liked, but also reflect on the fact that there was parts about how they led that I really didn't like. And I think one of the greatest gifts you can have is to work for someone you don't like who's still a good leader because everyone's so focused on how do I be a good leader or they're really focused on how can I be likable. And there's like a really sort of mushy middle somewhere between the two. And I don't know where that Venn diagram overlaps. And I think it's more important to be a good leader. But people don't really understand that until they've worked for a tyrant who's a really good leader. And I hope I'm not a tyrant. <laughs> well, and when that in that tension of like be likable or be a good leader, the feedback loop is much shorter on being likable. Mm-hmm. So it's like easier to kind of reinforce that over time rather than being a good leader, which can take a long time. And if people hate you, then you really never know or you have to like wait for a long time to get the outcomes that showed you that the thing you were doing was working. I like you hit the nail on the head. And the, I, I think the biggest compliment I've ever gotten as a leader is something to the effect of, man, you were such a hard ass, but I get it. And by the way, now I work for someone. I thought you were a hard ass. This lady's 10 times worse and it feels okay. And I'm so glad you were hard on me because you saw something in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself. And you actually realized my ceiling was higher than I thought it was. And I'll go back to like Ranger Regiment. I showed up. They gave me this weapon system. It's actually the the best weapon you can get. It's like a very small machine gun that one person operates. And typically you have to be in the unit for like two or some odd years to get it. And for some reason they gave it to me. The problem was the feeder paw, which is a piece that like feeds the rounds into the weapon, was broken. Now, I didn't know this for the entire six-month training cycle before deployment. So every time we went to the range, every time we were doing training, like five, ten rounds in, my gun would massively and catastrophically fail. And I was getting destroyed constantly. And I mean like 
Ranger Regiment is an amazing unit, but like the truth is it's, it's a brutal cutthroat kind of organization to grow up in. I was getting my ass handed to me, pardon my French. And what actually was amazing about that was at the time, by the way, we found out it was broken about two days before we deployed. And the second that thing worked, what happened was because I got so good at fixing malfunctions, I was far and away the best Mark 46 gunner in the unit by like orders of magnitude. And at the time I was just pissed because I felt like I'd been set up for failure. And in retrospect, I was so grateful because that experience, first of all, it destroyed my ego, which, you know, both metaphorically, like philosophically and like practically was really important and formative in my development. And the second piece for me was I realized in reflection, like I wouldn't have been as good at my job if it had been easy. And I learned through failure. So now you're in a position to grow leaders, mm -hmm. um, to like create the, the next round of who will be able to take your job and all of these different orgs mm -hmm. that you are leading in. How, what is your approach to that? How do you kind of, it's, I feel like it's a gap that a lot of orgs struggle with, mm -hmm. taking maybe a good manager or a great individual contributor and turning them into a leader. Mm -hmm. How have you found success with that? You've got to actually be deliberate and systematic about it. So there's one component where it's like talent identification. And I think, you know, you could probably spend a lot of time talking about that. But what we actually did. So, you know, when I was working with early career salespeople and turning a lot of them into first time and second time managers, a lot of what we literally did was like sit down and actually lay out a very like deliberate curriculum and we did like leadership book clubs and I literally pulled every leader across five regional teams into an office for a week, sat them down in like the basement of MuleSoft and said, you're going to learn how to be a leader this week. And by the way, I'm going to give you the curriculum, but you're going to be teaching each other. And it was incredibly powerful. And for me, like the proudest moment was when I got tasked to stand up business operations, the fact that there was like such a great backfill for me in the leaders that I had had the privilege of working with. So I think a lot of people approach it really haphazardly. If you want to take one lesson out of the special operations community is nothing is haphazard. Everything has deliberate training aligned around it. And like you, like, yes, there's organic growth opportunities and those are incredibly valuable, but you need like a real curriculum. And then when you take that learning and every now and then you will have to go external to hire a new leader into the org, what's uh, the one or two kind of qualities that you're working with your hiring team to find in, in those leaders? So I'm a huge fan of hiring externally sometimes, but only when every internal option has been exhausted because that's just a massive opportunity to retain great people. What I look for is people who interrogate the way I'm thinking about something. I want people to say, I disagree and here's why. And I also love working with leaders who augment my weaknesses. But the most important thing I look for is people who are just better than me, which isn't hard. I don't set a high bar. But it's critically important that I feel like, wow, this is someone who's going to not just win, but is going to inspire me to win and to be 
the best version of myself. Like, I need people who force me to be better. And I think we'll leave it at that. Stephen, thank you so much for being with us in the Talent Makers studio. We'll talk to you again soon. joining us in the Talent Makers Studio. Tune in to our next episode as we explore stories of how great leaders and managers at companies like VaynerMedia, TalkDesk, Alphabet, and Bevy are transforming business by changing their approach to hiring. You can also learn more by visiting greenhouse.io backslash talentmakers. makers.